What is up? It's been good. Been a good, um, you know, just busy. Yeah. Yeah. That's what's up. So where are you now, man? You're not at, I know you're not I'm at 7 I'm not letting it out yet. You're not letting it out? I'm oh, being man. You, you doing that shit. Okay. I'm running a little <laughs> underground railroad. I got to get my people out first. And then. Trust me. Hey, you know, <laughs> I feel you. Hey, 100% feel you on that. I'm doing you know the same I mean? thing. <laughs> I got one, one, uh, one person just left. So we'll see. Mm. I got one more person interested. Gotcha. Gotcha. And once we leave, I'll, you know, we'll let everybody know where we're at. Cool, man. Cool. Well, let's go ahead and jump into it. Uh, uh, thanks for coming, man. I really, really appreciate it. Um, I have my apprentices here. Oh, no problem, dude. Uh, you're one of the first people I thought of when I was doing this stuff, man. Because uh, I knew you was going to give me a good episode, bro. Like, you, you dropped oh, a lot of shit. <laughs> so, uh, I got my apprentices here, Zach, Eon, and Courtney. You know, can you tell us what exactly is your title? What do you call yourself? Because everybody has a different, you know, product design, UX, whatever. Yeah. Uh, what do you call yourself and how long have you been doing what you're doing? Yeah, so it's, uh, I would say, um, it has evolved over time, right? Right, <clears throat> so right. I've been in the game since the beginning of digital design. Mm -hmm. uh, so I would say now I would probably say a product designer because they're trying to broaden what UX does and that yeah. some people are more um, interested in not just the user perspective, but the business perspective and trying to balance that. That's really what product design is going. Mm -hmm. um, but that's what I've done my whole career, right? So I've mm -hmm. always uh, wanted to do high ROI, high impact projects and work on things that, you know, are going to see the light of day. That's mm -hmm. first off. You know, you're going to have times in your career, depending on where you're working um, where the projects may not, you yeah. know, you may be a lot of pitch work. It may be agency work and it just doesn't go live, you know, but I mm -hmm. prefer for the, for my projects to go live because I feel that continuous improvement requires it to be out in the real world, quote unquote, and for you to get that quantitative data to put with the qualitative data that you did in the research. So mm -hmm. I would say product design. Um, but over mm -hmm. time, as I said, it's evolved. So I started doing digital design for print. Mm -hmm. uh, when I was in college mm -hmm. and then um, that was in the beginning of the web so I mm -hmm. quickly pivoted to web design early on and mm -hmm. it wasn't anybody like really doing that even professionally at the time and mm -hmm. most of the people who who did go into it started uh, usually from print design right gotcha. Gotcha. and back then yep. we were like laying out magazines primarily I worked on a lot of magazines here in town in Dallas and um you know, the goal then was to speed up the print design process because the era before me in the 80s and 70s, it was paste up. Like people literally were using exacto mm -hmm. knives and pasting things and taking pictures of it. And, you know, yeah. it's like crazy. Yeah. You, know, you look at old mags, it, it's amazing they pulled off what they did. It was a lot. Yeah. And letter set, you know, doing mm -hmm. that. So we, I was the first group of people, even in the print design, it was just using computers to do layout. That was pretty mm -hmm. big. Mm -hmm. And what that helped me to do is take also like um, the principles, good design principles and apply them to communications. Even mm -hmm. some of the, you wouldn't even call it a designer. Like a lot of it was like visual communications. I think what the courses were called. Yeah. A lot of the college courses are called that visual communications. Visual communications. Right. Mm -hmm. So anyway, moved it to, to web design early on and early on, I saw even when I was on campus that, mm -hmm the fine arts students were not being taught the practical tools, software, mm -hmm. in order to go get a position. Nope. 
they were being taught uh, uh, design philosophy and principles, but not, and, and for um, traditional media, painting, mm -hmm. sculpting, you know, things of that nature, but they were not being taught how to apply that digitally and then mm -hmm. how, to learn, how to use the software so they could get a job when they got out of school. Right. So I started to train students early on uh, mm -hmm. how to use software, Photoshop, Illustrator. Um, at the time, Corp Express was big. Mm -hmm. And then that's um that's before Adobe bought Aldis PageMaker, which they had as PageMaker, and then that evolved to become InDesign. Mm, so anyway, right. did that, um, and then I worked for myself several years. And um, what interested me in getting into design, first off, well, I have a background in um in street art, so I used to be a graffiti writer back way back mm -hmm. then. Mm -hmm. So that already you know had me like pretty interested. But that's like one thing about graffiti that's so cool is that it is so large yeah you know what i mean and it's out there and it's public it's like a it's like almost like performance art to a point you know yeah and, mm -hmm. um you know even though it's a maybe like a back then especially with a small community because people weren't really like giving you mural space and stuff at the time mm -hmm. um so th that got me interested in it but what i saw was um uh, and i had flirted with architecture a little bit i saw that th this um, digital design combined a lot of disciplines mm-hmm Right, mm -hmm. that always made me go. That's real interesting to do, and I figured if it combined a lot of disciplines, it would keep evolving and growing, and so I could probably make a, a long-term career out of it some type of way. Though I have capped out several times. Capping yeah. out is, you know, you come into a position and like you're already at the top of the pay scale for that. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Or you're there, and then they don't have any other way for you to go up the ladder. That's like it. Mm -hmm. So it's hard. You know, I felt in the beginning, like the first ten years. In mm -hmm. the 2000s, mm -hmm. that was like a foundational time, uh, especially for web because e-commerce was coming online. Mm -hmm. And that's what drove a lot of the design that we do now is actually e-commerce design because that was like the first practical reason mm -hmm. to do web design for companies to engage in. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? Before mm -hmm. that, it was like everybody's, it was actually it was funny in the beginning when I worked for myself out of college, it was like a lot of uh, small businesses. They jumped mm -hmm. on because they were they were viewing it as the internet is going to be the new yellow pages, right? And they were like, "We got to do it, or people won't know where we're at. No one will give us right. business." They jumped on it. Big right. businesses were reluctant. They were like, "Yeah, we got a little." They were like on some directory site, and then they were mm -hmm. because a lot of them too also had um, you know brick and mortar stores. Gotcha. So okay. they were like, "Nah, we're good." Um, around 2000, um, Neiman's hired myself and about four other designers. And we had all been working for ourselves. That was weird too. We'd all mm -hmm. been working for ourselves already for several years each. <clears throat> and they hired about four of us to help start their e-commerce team, the design end of it. And, and Neiman Marcus, right? And Neiman Marcus. And that's because gotcha. they were like, well, we can't teach y'all. So you mm -hmm. have to show us what to do. Right, right. Uh, and then this was like so early on, there was no... Uh, what we call best practice for a lot of processes that we take for granted now. So mm -hmm. like shopping cart, there was no best practice. Mm -hmm. None whatsoever. Okay. Mm -hmm. Like there was Amazon had their thing like in the late nineties and um, <clears throat> eBay started up like, I want to say 97, 98, maybe, but mm -hmm. the cart, everybody's carts were different. It was like a, mm -hmm. thing. Was a problem. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> as fashion and other, um, retailers like jc penny the clothing retailers got into it mm -hmm. then what we started to do is all bite off of each other and when everybody started biting off of each other that ended up starting to become a best practice mm. and this is before we had data everybody mm -hmm. didn't have good tagging data to say 
this is where people are falling off. This is where users are abandoning the car. We have none of that for like years, four or five years. Mm -hmm. okay? mm -hmm. And we were still That's making crazy. How were you figuring out what was working then? If you we were just going off of human psychology. Oh. And, and, then, and then going off of like saying, um, you know, we didn't know what to blame. We were like, is it the UX, which we didn't call it UX at the time, but is it the process or is it what we're selling? Mm -hmm. So then we would kind of like do little tests. We'd be like, okay, them shoes is whack. <laughs> let's yeah. try, let's feature another shoe and see how it works. And then we'd be like, mm -hmm. mm, it doesn't look like it's the shoe. And then we mm -hmm. would come back and then we would go through the process and go, all right, let's go through and see, is this a big headache? Maybe we're not showing enough pictures of the shoe. You right. Know, maybe we're not giving enough content, a uh, breakdown of what the materials are. You know, what is what, what are we missing? Yeah. Mm -hmm. We used to have like little surveys on, on the major sites. Tell mm -hmm. us what you want to change. Tell us what's wrong. Tell us this and that. That's the mm -hmm. first like, little bit of research we started doing, qualitative. Mm -hmm. okay. And we would also wait to the end of the transaction, like when you get your receipt. We say, mm -hmm. hey, great, thank you so much. Can you please, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, give us some information and tell us what your experience was like. A lot of people were doing that because we mm -hmm. didn't have, a, as I said, best practices established. Then gotcha. started getting best practices. We started getting some tagging. Um, and early on, we all wanted, meaning almost all the designers wanted um, suggestions, you know, what we, what AI does now. Mm -hmm. But we didn't have AI, right? Mm -hmm. So what we did is we would go, we would, but we did have algorithms. People, because mm -hmm. algorithms, that's, that's kind of, oh, that's a kind of second stage computer programming. So we mm -hmm. did have to say, well, this is a popular item. So show these items mm -hmm. like in the bottom. And we created a space for that on a product page, right? Demons, uh, mm -hmm. Penny, and I want to say it was like another luxury retailer, like Lord and Taylor were like the first to do product pages like that. I still have all this work too, by the way. Mm -hmm. I got mm -hmm. all, like I could probably <laughs> put something together and show the evolution of e-commerce or something. But, mm -hmm. uh, but anyway, and then, so then the merchants would say stuff to us like, man, I got like 300 of these. I got, a, mm -hmm. I got more. And mm -hmm. then that's when we came up with another little section that said, may we suggest yeah. Right? That okay. was just based on us having crack we had to, <laughs> to move. There was no criteria. It was yeah. like I got a warehouse of this and I gotta I gotta get it out of here, right? Um gotcha. I would tell you when things really started to change. We were doing well, right? So I would tell you like um Neiman's gave us like a mark. They said, We'll give you guys five years mm -hmm. uh, in order to become profitable. Right? Okay. And I would say Year three, three and a half, mm -hmm. and the company couldn't believe that. They were like, "What?" In mm -hmm. the beginning, guys, the first year, merchants wouldn't even give us merchandise. They were like, "Why? You're you're, mm -hmm. you're not gonna sell anything. You're online." Like they were yeah. just, it was bad. They didn't believe in the internet. <laughs> yeah, you know, they were like it's a fad. <laughs> oh God! <laughs> now we like what? You know, but back then, it was yeah. like whatever the internet, right? Exactly. That's the best option now. Yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what? The the some of the key learnings. And so when data came online, that's like really good, robust data. It was like two thousand four, two thousand five. Then we started to get data in, but we had analysts. You know, the systems weren't that great. Um, mm -hmm. so we had analysts to pull that and try to give us some insights. Then we would start trying to design around that and mm -hmm. the goals that the business had, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And we were like, can you know, can can we push this? Can we show this, showcase this merchandise in such a way to mm -hmm. increase lift and conversion to make more money? Mm 
right? Gotcha. And then I want to say about uh, six or seven, it was Omniture, which is now Adobe Marketing Cloud came out. And a few of us as designers got accounts directly. And then, mm -hmm. you know, I, I had some friends that were analysts, so they kind of showed me how they were going through the data and how they extrapolated the insights from the raw data. Mm -hmm. And once they showed me the design of that, it was a rocket. Yeah. So I didn't need them. I was, I was good. You didn't have to give me a report. I mm -hmm. just go in and see exactly what to do. And then we gotcha. started, that, that, that to me made me go, and this is before we started using terms like data-driven design, right? Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, now that's like kind of what we say all the time, or data-informed design. I think some people push back on driven because they don't want to feel like, you know. It's the number one factor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they don't want that. No, no, they want to say informed because they still want to make the psychological decisions, mm -hmm. you know, on behalf of the user to, to, to push and drive a thing. But anyway, um, so once that happened, then we started to really see like things uptick as far mm -hmm. as um, conversion and, and, um, and uh, sales, the amount of sales, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So then, you know, I had, I had done a lot of, uh, a lot of, um, and tell me, you know, if you got other questions, you know, stop me. But I had, a, I, after that, I decided, how can I take UX and use it in different fields? Mm -hmm. You know, that mm -hmm. wasn't really a thing to like the end of the tw uh, first 2000s. Mm -hmm. Right around the crash is when other companies were like, you know, right when uh, the last, you know, 08 recession happened, companies mm -hmm. were like, we need to do something. Mm -hmm. And I think that's when a lot of different types of companies started to invest in internal UX teams. Got you. Okay. Because at this okay. point, Apple had proved the point. Mm -hmm. If UX is tight, you're going to make millions. Mm -hmm. Amazon had proved the point. Mm -hmm. E-commerce people had proved the point. And so every different type of company now said, we need some of that magic. We need some of that sauce. Because... Mm -hmm we need to figure out how we're going to get through this recession. So Mike, let me ask you this, dude. So taking us through that history of that, which I greatly appreciate, where do you see the future of our field going right now? So this is a funny, that's a funny thing. Um, mm -hmm. AI. So I've been watching AI in design for 20 years. Mm -hmm. And every five years, somebody comes up with an AI that's going to put designers out of business. Yeah. Like from 2000, they've been trying this. Yeah. We've had this, I can't remember what it was called, but it was this um, little software system that was created on a system named Director, which is what mm -hmm. people use to program interactive CDs. Y'all probably were like in elementary. <laughs> right? So you used to use that to create them. So this one guy created a design generator. Mm. It was really ill. It was like, what do you want to design? A CD cover, a poster, a flyer, or whatever. And then you would pick styles. Mm-hmm. And you would pick a color palette and it would randomize design. oh shit okay so it wasn't like gonna really put you out of work but it was no. a good starting point yeah. right kind right of how we all use templates and and libraries now exactly right? mm -hmm. but what i do think is gonna happen though is i think that um and what i've loved in my career is the adding of screens mm -hmm. every time I, I, apple I have to give Apple props. It's my, I have a mm -hmm. love-hate relationship with them. Uh, what I do love about them is that they drove these, this, this phase that we're in now. So mm -hmm. they're creating the, the first convergence device, AKA the iPhone, mm -hmm. the first true conversion device, because other people have tried it and not been so successful. And then now with the watch, mm -hmm. and then now was talking about the glasses, every time they mm -hmm. introduce a new set of screens, I go, thank God. Mm -hmm. 
done gave me another four, five years in the game. Mm-hmm. They about to make glasses? Oh, yeah. AR glasses. Yeah, they get ready to. Yeah. Uh-huh. So, screens, you know, um, and then there's no screens. So, we're going to yeah. talk about two things in the future that really affect us in our career. So, screens, VR, mm-hmm. AR, mm-hmm. and these have a different set of criteria, best practice, and mm-hmm. Consider to design for as UX designers, okay? Mm-hmm. Or as experienced designers, we have distance. All right, so I'm going to tell you, I went to Big Design. I don't know if you, you guys have been to Big Design. I've heard. No, I haven't, but I know. I know. It's a pretty good, it's a, it's a pretty good conference that we have locally. Um, mm-hmm. It's great because it's been going on so many years. So I got to give them props for that. But mm-hmm. if you're more experienced, if you know, it's a little tough to get things out of it. So you just go to network and see, you know, see mm-hmm. your people. Mm-hmm. If you're if you're newer into the field, you can learn a lot. Right. Mm-hmm. So I went uh, two years ago. There was a gentleman there talking about designing for VR. Mm-hmm. I thought this was so interesting. And he said the problems that he encountered. Mm-hmm. One, you can't, you know, we designed him for like a, a monitor. Like I'm talking to you guys. My monitor is about a foot and a half, maybe 18 inches away. Mm-hmm. Well, in VR, you have to make the point size like maybe 120. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. going to be like three feet away for it to be comfortable, almost like a TV distance away. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he said all of that he had to figure out and learn because the, when he was trying to translate his web and app work, it mm-hmm. was not usable in, in a floating VR space. And I was like, right. interesting. Then right. he talked about, um, you know, everybody thinks the future is see-through screens, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which drives me batty, but whatever. Mm-hmm. So, and so we try to do those types of experiences in VR. And he said, well, now you have a big problem of seeing things behind the screen. Mm-hmm. And how does that affect uh, legibility and readability? So I mm-hmm. was like, that's pretty interesting too. And the same thing will happen with AR as because now we're doing it so close to the eye. Mm-hmm. The person has to be able to look and interact with the data, like say in this portion of the lens, but still mm-hmm. be able to look over here to concentrate on what's in front of them so they're not running into stuff. Right, right. You know, and then opacity, things like opacity is going to become huge because you want to see through the lens, but you got to see the data. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think these, I think those definitely are going to take off. VR, man, I mean, we've been trying to do that thing actually technically since the 80s, right? Yeah, yeah. In the 90s, it was like a toy, like a fair Yeah, thing, yeah, or go to the mall or something. Yeah. yeah, early 2000s, they had one or two attempts. It was terrible. Now, it's legit, okay? Mm-hmm. If you do not have a PSVR or Oculus Quest, I suggest, or HTC Vive, get one. Yeah, I got an Oculus. Yeah, Oculus is bananas. I love my Oculus, dude. And after mm-hmm. the quarantine now, it was like one of the best tech purchases I bought in five years. It mm-hmm. was just perfect timing. You know yeah. I mean? Yeah. So anyway, I think so we're going to have some opportunities there in AR and VR. Then, you know, the watch. Let's talk about the watches. Apple won that war. Uh, there mm-hmm. were some other good watches. I'm going to give a little bit of props to Fossil. Fossil has some very good watch designs that technically do everything mm-hmm. that you kind of want done with the watch. Mm-hmm. I don't know where Apple's going with this. Why I say this is because ever mm-hmm. since they got this watch, people have been saying, when are they going to put FaceTime on? And I've heard that some of the original prototypes did have FaceTime, but it was like an hour of battery time. <laughs> like it was killing yeah. it, right? Yeah, so, I would imagine so. Yeah, what Apple will do is they'll uh, create something that essentially has all the feature sets in the prototype, and mm-hmm. then they will that over a space of five to seven years. One, mm-hmm. because battery life and usability, and two, mm-hmm. they're stretching out the check, 
Let's yeah. be honest. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of that's kind of like a that's a business strategy. So mm-hmm. um, I think that um, there is some more future in the watch. I do not know yet if it's going to replace the phone like some people believe. I don't. I don't think that. I think. Uh, I think um, voice design is another one that's really big on the future right now, especially so making it more conversational. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So voice design. I can tell you, my interaction with voice design started roughly about uh, 2016, so 40 years ago now. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was like, VUI might make mm-hmm. you know make us obsolete. If you're mm-hmm. a, you know visual designer, unless you're mm-hmm. a content writer, that's really script writing. Like you really don't. I mean, there are some cool things that we can do, you know, how mm-hmm. you present that. Mm-hmm. But it's really not, it's, you know what I'm saying? It's not complex. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you know, you know, we talked about uh, things in culture that um, influence technology. If you all remember the original Star Trek series, Star Trek, everybody on the, on the ship had a little symbol on their mm-hmm. uniform. They would tap it and talk to the computer's um, mm-hmm. uh, AI, right? Mm-hmm. They tap mm-hmm. it and go computer, and then they'd ask it questions or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's kind of where we were going with the virtual assistants of Siri, Amazon Alexa, and Google, right? Mm-hmm. That's really what that's based on, right? Mm-hmm. I can see that becoming more, and that was um, in the in the '90s. That concept was called ubiquity, ubiquitous computing. Mm-hmm. Right? It's just everywhere. It's yeah. Just, not not really the Internet of Things, which is like all the devices are talking to each other, like a mesh network. It wasn't really that. It was computing is everywhere and it is somewhat commoditized. Mm-hmm. But but it is hard for major companies like a, an Amazon or Apple or Google or Microsoft to stay in business because of commoditization or Hewlett Packard to stay in business because of commoditization. When that happens, things get so cheap. It's almost like uh, what we say: the juice isn't worth the squeeze. Mm-hmm. So they almost have to like try to keep up in the game, right? Gotcha. Um, so. VUI, I think, is there. You know, that mm-hmm. would probably, those of us who are better wordsmiths can kind of pivot to that. Mm-hmm. Um, those of us that are more visual can probably concentrate more on the AR and the VR, right? Yeah, absolutely. You will always have some of these screens, I think, for a while. You know, there'll probably always be a need for a high-level workstation, but that may, mm-hmm. be, that may go back to engineers and stuff like how it was in the 70s and 80s when they were mostly the only people that had computers. Got you. Um... Courtney, you good? Yeah, <laughs> she looked like she's about to pass out. <laughs> you good? I'm good. I'm honestly listening to the story. I think a lot of this is just really valuable information. So I, it's been interesting to hear like what you kind of see or forecasting what's going to happen in the next couple of years. So I've just honestly just been listening for the moment. Okay, I will. I'll leave you alone. <laughs> hey, where Zach and Eon can have this energy too? Where they at? <laughs> Mike, Mike, I, Mike, I got a question. I got a question for you, bro. I got a question for you. So kind of pivoted a little bit. Um, they will be, you know, uh, so their program that they're going through right now is a year long, right? So mm-hmm. can you talk to them? you know, once they're done, get into the workforce. Can you talk about the type of office politics that oh designers have to face? I oh know you got God, a wealth God. of knowledge, man. <laughs> Listen, okay. So one thing, uh, this to me is not just us as designers in the corporate world. This to me, yeah. um, oh, let me tell you all, my educational background is not design. My background mm-hmm. is in sociology and anthropology. So I'm studying people constantly and mm-hmm. 
humans, we are who we are. Trust me mm -hmm. as I tell you this. And we are not that different as we think we are. And, mm -hmm. that's, and that means cross ethnicity, age, race, orientation, everything. We are not that different. We think we mm -hmm. are, but we're not. Mm -hmm. So what I've found with creative people in society, in Western society in particular, is they seem to be undervalued, mm -hmm. but needed. Mm -hmm. It's almost like a teacher. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Checks are better. Mm -hmm. But the reality of it is, it is similar. It's like, you don't need us, but there's nothing you guys can look around your room right now that's not designed. Nothing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right? As an anthropologist, one of the things that separated us from, from other higher level apes is tool making, is mm -hmm. creativity. Mm -hmm. It is like the, one of the big separations, right? So mm -hmm. it's, it's just odd to me that um, uh, designers can be so undervalued in a lot of the environments, mm -hmm. right? I'll give you a perfect example. Almost every organization I've worked in for 25 years design as a team or as a, as a section of the company, a, a department of the company has to mm -hmm. prove its value and worth constantly. Yeah. Yeah. No, other, I've never seen any other part of the organization go through this ever. Nope. Nope. I've never seen developers do it. Hell no. I, I think developers kind of get away with a little, get away with it because people are like, it's Greek. They don't, they scared to see the code. Yeah, because we don't understand what the hell they do. Yeah. Like, like, you know, okay, like, you know, what they do makes our shit work. Like, we know right. that. And that's it. And everybody's cool with it. With us, mm -hmm. everybody and their mom is an art director. Everybody and their mom. Everybody's is a, a designer. Oh my and God. And everybody's a freaking critic. And it's just, it's a thing. Right. Mm -hmm. So because it can be so subjective, um, it is part of the problem that we have in the politics of organizations. Now, mm -hmm. data is your friend mm -hmm. because when you are doing data inspired or driven design that mm -hmm. usually, uh, can counter subjective narratives that are not going to help to achieve the goal. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, one of the ways I've gotten around it is the proof is in the pudding, right? If you are there in the org to hit those goals and make that money, then just do that. Mm -hmm. Just mm -hmm. concentrate on that. You will have some people that say that's why they hired you and not like it, that that's what you're concentrating on. Mm -hmm. Because mm -hmm. some, um, because, because there's some leaders that feel that they hire people to reinforce their biases. That's not like a boss instead of a leader then. That is, that yeah. is, the, that is a boss instead of a leader. That's a, that's a boss mentality. Right. Mm -hmm. And some mm -hmm. of you all know the difference between the two. Mm hmm right? Leaders have to be much more pragmatic because a true leader is trying to make sure that everybody stays fed and paid, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And the board is happy and the stockholders are happy, mm -hmm. right? So a true leader has to be a lot more pragmatic in achieving those goals because it's a lot on the line, right? Yeah. It's a yeah. high pressure gig and, you know, you have to take your hats off to good leaders and good execs. You really have to give them their accolades. It's, it's tough to right? Mm -hmm. um, but the other politic that you'll face, you'll mm -hmm. face, um, there's a lot of um, stereotypes about designers. Mm -hmm. okay? Some of them are true or some of them are, you know, somewhat true. Mm -hmm. So, and there's maybe different types of uh, personality types that get involved in design. So maybe, mm -hmm. you know, that's why they are. But design is often deemed to be flaky mm -hmm. or soft or squishy. Mm -hmm. It was the same thing when I was in college, I was studying social sciences versus chemistry. Or bio, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. they'd be like, "Oh, sociology, anthropology." Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was yeah. hard science, quote unquote. And right. so, design is viewed that same way. That's why I feel like data uh, is good and helps us to make the point, especially on return on investment, 
when you can show directly how the mm -hmm. designs are affecting the bottom line. And that's all mm -hmm. anyone cares about. I have to be honest with y'all. Mm -hmm. No one cares about your empathy maps. <laughs> Nobody cares yeah. about the sticky notes. Nobody <laughs> nope. cares about your, your workshops. They do not care. Don't let them fool you. They mm -hmm. do not. What people mm -hmm. care about at the end of the day is achieving those goals and keeping the lights on, period. Mm -hmm. That's what it's about. And those uh, ceremonies and things that we do as part of our process are a means to an end. I will tell people, you're going to learn um, in your education, in design education, you are going to learn a complete process. When you get out into the world and you start to develop um, uh, your other tools and skill sets, like thinking on the fly and, and quick solutioning, there's going to be times where you're going to have to skip parts of that process. But you oh, yeah. don't know that until you're in it and until mm -hmm. you get better at it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it, I 100% agree with you, dude. It's like you can read like all the shit you want. You can read all the books and all the theories and all that shit. But if you don't know how to apply that at a second to recall, like, oh, I know what I can do for this situation. Yes. All that shit goes out the window. It just goes all out the window. And, and I will tell you, uh, I'm going to give you all the biggest, one of the biggest challenges you're going to face is working in agile. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And there's a couple of reasons. One is because most companies are not as agile as they think mm. and are not truly following that, the methodology. Mm -hmm. Two, you know, there should be some room for flexibility because every situation is different. Mm -hmm. However, I found, especially uh, the older legacy enterprises, these enterprises that are, or companies are about 25 years or older, or 50 mm -hmm. years and older, it's definitely legacy. Um, mm -hmm. They are so stuck in waterfall that it's gonna, you're gonna have a flavor. You know, we used to call it wagile, water gile. Yeah, you know, it's fragile. fragile. <laughs> yeah. That's really the, the reality of what you're gonna be working in. And so mm -hmm. it's gonna be harder um, for you because what I found in the orgs that are trying to adapt to agile is they're mm -hmm. only concentrating on product and development. They act like design doesn't even exist. Exactly. And that's a major, major issue. And mm -hmm. I have seen that as a trend and, and people have told me in different, even verticals, people are working in medical field and, and insurance and, and um, mm -hmm. even in FinTech and I've worked in FinTech that they're like, yeah, I'm experiencing the same thing. Mm -hmm. So that's something to me that um, you all are gonna have to face as a challenge is how best to work and integrate with those other teams. I gotcha. personally think the best thing you can do because you have to develop resiliency Resiliency is the ability to get a whole lot of no and keep going mm -hmm. and not mm -hmm. get mad and pissed off and, and storm out or quit. Right. Yeah. This yeah. is developing human resiliency. And in order to do that, you have to, in my opinion, what I've developed is you have to love the process. I love mm -hmm. to design. Now you have some design leaders, you know, after they hit a management level, they don't design anymore. They just critique that. That's a different, there are two schools of thought. Um, some people think that you should be out of it. I personally do not believe that. I like mm -hmm. to keep my chops up. I like to design. I like the act of designing. Mm -hmm. I, feel like, I feel like design is a revolutionary act, okay, mm -hmm. to be honest. Mm -hmm. And I feel that as I, if revolution is re-evolving, as I keep mm -hmm. myself constantly re-evolving, it is good to keep my chops up. Mm -hmm. And it gives me an intimate knowledge of the process. So my theory of design leadership is skewing more towards like, craftsmanship like being the mm -hmm. master builder mm -hmm. or the master architect with a team mm -hmm. right and mm -hmm. i think that to me that seems to be uh more productive 
Yeah. Uh, it helps team politics. It helps teams to trust each other. And if they trust each other, they usually produce at a higher level. Mm. Right. Yeah. So to me, that works better for me. Some people are different. Some people are like, no, you do it. You bring it to me. I critique it. You go on, you know? Gotcha. Yeah. I want to get in there and find out what made you choose that route versus another route. Mm -hmm. And I, I will tell you another thing, too. I've been a martial artist, and I like to apply this philosophy to other things. And to me, design is also like kung fu, right? So I want to mm -hmm. know, why'd you do this versus why you ain't do that? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. What made you choose that move at that point in time mm -hmm. uh, it, it to execute? You mentioned earlier, like, design education. Um, what do you think is missing in our education of designers today? Oh, that's a good one. So first off, I'll say you all are lucky to have people like Everett that are teaching UX, okay? Yeah. We didn't have it. A lot of us that started, started early in the field, we just literally brought disciplines and, um, and philosophy and theory and practice from other fields. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of early web and UX designers were not designers, designers. You know, mm -hmm. as I said, it was about 50% print designers and then people from like different fields going, hey, I'm interested in building the future, right? Right. So what I think is always missing is that practicality, mm -hmm. meaning, um, and it's going to change. Like every three or four years are kind of like different trends mm -hmm. that companies are looking for and that UX essentially is pushing, UX as a broad discipline is pushing to corporations, right? So mm -hmm. design thinking is huge. We beat, I personally think we beat design thinking to death, okay? Mm -hmm. I would think that to, for me, for the future, I want to concentrate on service design, mm. right? Service design is not new, by the way. It's been mm -hmm. used in engineering and other fields for a long, architecture for a long time as well. Civil engineers mm -hmm. use these giant service design maps. But the way we use it is, is good because it can show several layers of a problem. And mm -hmm. it is a great way to illustrate um, what you're trying to achieve because some of this stuff is so huge and complex. Mm -hmm. Right? Okay. So like journey mapping, which is kind of like a subset of service mm -hmm. design maps, are key and crucial, mm -hmm. you know, just for you to get stuff in your mind. Mm -hmm. Now, as you guys get good at it, you won't even need to map it out all the time. You'll have right. it and you'll you be like, see I'm it. just putting it out. Yeah, I'm like, this is the process. But it is sometimes good, especially when you've got a lot of tight deadlines, you're juggling several projects to get it out of your mind so that you don't have anxiety of trying to remember it, right? Right, and right. And put it in a codified form that also helps to line everybody. Remember guys, we all agreed to this. Mm -hmm. you know mm -hmm. To me, that part about it is missing in some of the modern UX education. They're not teaching more the flow and the process part. Mm -hmm. This is also, there are sub-disciplines to UX. This is also what a lot of architects do, UX architects. Mm -hmm. They're doing mm -hmm. more the flow and the process. So one of the best teams I've ever worked on, we, we have, we, all of us had multiple skills, but we kind of mm -hmm. had like a straight player position type of philosophy. Right. right. So I'll tell you how it works. We would pair a UX architect with a UX designer. We have about three sets of them. Mm -hmm. Then we would have a producer or, or kind of a creative project manager mm -hmm. that would help to make sure we're hitting the timelines and working within the time boxes of sprints and agile. Right? Mm -hmm. so it's almost like a scrum master for creative. Right. Which I love having them. Mm -hmm. And then we would have a creative director that leads all of those pods and make sure that creative director is there for quality control, guidance, and strategic thinking. Mm -hmm. And making sure that everybody's not just so down in the weeds that you forget that, you know, you, you, you don't miss the forest for the trees, right? 
Right, right. And then we would support those three teams of mini pods, what we used to call them, with a UI UX developer mm -hmm. and with a UX writer. Mm. To me, that's the best structure I've ever worked with. And that was at um, Citibank when I worked at Citibank in, in their fintech division. The best. Yeah. I've like never worked. Huh? It is a really good structure. Uh, yeah, I was just saying that sounds like a really like dope and organized and well-managed structure. Like it seems like everything is correctly allocated. So yes. mm -hmm. like really now, what you would do is those three teams of architects and designers, mm -hmm. that's where the flex is. Mm -hmm. So if you don't, you know, the reason that also I can tell you guys, the reason that contracting is so huge is because a lot of the projects that, that companies are needing help on are not long ongoing projects. Mm -hmm. So that's why they do have to have a contract model. Mm -hmm. you know? And there's pluses and minuses to the contract model, right? Usually mm -hmm. mm -hmm. pays more, less time or less stability, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but that's why you have that flex. So what we would do is, in order to bring on another group of, uh, or another pair of, the, of architect and designer, mm -hmm. we would have to have certain criteria met. Mm. That criteria, and we say, okay, go ahead and hire them for this. Gotcha. And is that That's criteria the, usually based on, is it a monetary goal? Um, monetary and also is, it, is, is the company willing to um, put funds and resources to that yet? Gotcha, okay, okay. You know what I mean? And then what do you expect the return on investment to be? Gotcha. But all that's usually pretty much happening with the business, not necessarily with UX, right? Yeah. And um, so anyway, with that structure, you get, you're almost creating that service design type of culture because you have your architect that's working with your, everybody works together, but the architect mm -hmm. is at the beginning of the process, which is what I was at. And that they're mm -hmm. gonna give you the basic solve. Mm -hmm. This is how we should go about solving this. Mm -hmm. And the architect has to think a lot about a lot of things. Mm -hmm. so what they're going to do is it's going to create wireframes, process flows, and things of that nature is give everybody a clear understanding of what we are at, of where we're at in the problem solve, and mm -hmm. how do we think we should go about solving. Right? right. We all come together, chop it up, break it down, change this, change that, agreed. Then after we're agreed on it and the business agrees on it, then it goes into visual design. Yep. When it goes into visual design for the UX designer, they are now making sure that it resonates. Mm -hmm. Resonating is making a visceral psychological connection with the user. Mm -hmm. So now we're going to use color palette. We're going to use emphasis and de-emphasis. We're going to mm -hmm. use white space. We're going to create rhythm in the layout because mm -hmm. that's what everybody sees. But that's like saying, um, you know, uh, interior decoration and the paint of the house. Mm -hmm. Versus architecture is the layout and the plans mm -hmm. and the, the lighting and the plumbing and everything that has to be in there to support that fantastic right. experience that my interior designer is going to give to the family or the, or, the, or the people who are buying the home. Got you. When it comes to hiring designers, what do you look for? Oh, that's a good one. Um, so I understand over the years that there takes all types of people to make a world, right? Mm -hmm. And it means it takes all types of people, talent, and backgrounds to make a good team. Mm -hmm. So I like diverse teams. I mm -hmm. have gotten the best results from very diverse teams. That's in background, that's in age, that's in experience level, that's diversity in everything. Okay? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But um, I will tell y'all, honestly, it is the hardest thing to onboard junior designers. And why is that? I'm going to tell you why. Because the companies do not have essentially we do not have time to train 
Gotcha. Get you included and properly onboard you into the corporate culture mm-hmm. in the UX. Mm-hmm. So this is why you guys, if you search LinkedIn, you're going to see a whole bunch of senior positions. Mm-hmm. Like, is everybody senior? That's yeah. how they make you think. I've seen when I was out, you couldn't be senior if you didn't have five, six years. That was like a minimum. Right. Now you're like senior three years, two and a half years, because, you know, companies are just grasping at straws. And it's like, no, that's actually a junior. But then mm-hmm. the thing that you face with certain design leaders, too, is they do not know how to coach or teach or mentor. Right. So it's also on us as design leaders. And then you are in another situation where design organization maturity has mm-hmm. to be at a certain level so we can bring junior designers in so we have a process and system and way we do things so we can exactly. teach Exactly, that culture. And a there. lot of the orgs guys are not mature enough. There are two, when, mm-hmm. you, say, when you ask somebody, you get an interview, you say, how long is a design org? They say two years, it ain't mature. Nope. They say three years, it is barely reaching maturity in the best of times. Usually mm-hmm. that's not mature either. It's mm-hmm. usually not mature until about five years. Mm-hmm. And what I've seen is the cycle the past, mm, not 20, but past 50, no, past 10 years. That's about two mm-hmm. cycles. Mm-hmm. I've seen this, this pendulum swing of we need an in-house team. And then they rock it out for like three to five years. And then they go, we need to send it to an agency. Mm-hmm. Do that for three to five years. Then they go, we need an in-house team. <laughs> and companies just do this back and forth, back and forth. So to remain flexible and to build your career out over time, I want you to also consider going and working at an agency, which is a different pace and a, and a different culture, and mm-hmm. then also working on in an in-house team. It's good to do both. Yeah. We call that the client, agency side and the client side. It's great to do both. Mm-hmm. I avoided agencies like the play because of all the horror stories, and I had a, and I tried to work for myself, and I had friends who had agencies, and I was like, nah. Yeah. And like, that's because I didn't find the right one. Mm-hmm. Then I found one they were really good at and they were really gun ho And I'm a pretty entrepreneurial person too. I like to go after business. I like to win business. Mm-hmm. So I, they, they were a good fit. They were a good cultural fit for me. And so okay. I took a chance with them. That was good. I learned so much. Uh-huh. I learned so much about the business of design. From the- and that's key, dude. Like, can you speak more to that? Because I don't, I don't think people are really talking about that as much. They're not. And so because a lot of designers or a lot of internal design orgs don't mm-hmm. necessarily have people from the agency side, they don't understand the worth of design mm-hmm. and they don't understand um, how to necessarily communicate return on investment. Mm-hmm. When you're on the agency side, you have to do that or you de- or you don't get the money, right? Mm-hmm. So you have to let, and you have to be able to let a client know, uh-uh, here's your check back. We're good. Mm. Right? Mm. So you're going to know the worth. I can look at I can look at things now because I was on that side of the fence and go, oh, that's that's one seventy five an hour. That's two twenty five an hour. Mm-hmm. They're probably paying. They're probably doing two fifty an hour. Like mm-hmm. even how you do that, how you internally manage that money, manage that budget, get the resources and the talent needed, turn it, decide mm-hmm. who gets to be FTE and contract. Is this this contract or is this an ongoing engagement? All of mm-hmm. that very mm-hmm. crucial. Because in the internal teams, they need to leverage some of that thinking more. Mm-hmm. Right? And to let people know what they're getting involved in on the way in. Mm-hmm. So and that's what I you know, and that's why I appreciated and that's why I appreciated you like when I came on at 7 Eleven. It's like you and Jimmy, you guys kind of told me up front, hey, this is what you're about to get into. And yeah. then of course, like 
what I tell people, like, like, I can tell you anything, but until you actually come in there and see it and live it and breathe it, then you're like, oh, shit, this is really what you told me. It's like, yeah, right. I told you. But, right. you know, and I think I thank you because, like, from the time I got in there, you know, we had conversations like, hey, look, dude, this is what's going on back here. And this is one of the yep. things that I try and make sure that, that people understand. Look, relationship building, understanding, going in and assessing what comp- company you're in what the corporate structure is that's fucking huge dude because you might be you don't have a clue what's going on and that's not that's not a good position to be in so i really appreciate you and jimmy uh for both keeping me abreast of what's going on because it's like people put their head down especially designers put their head down go in a little corner design and they think that no you have to be way more involved you got to be way more involved and that's called a stakeholder management Mm-hmm. That, to, that to me is really a, uh, an agency consulting skill. Yeah, it is. It is. You know what I mean? So it, it, I got to be honest with you. That's everything. I can tell you the two things that sell a lot is good mm-hmm. stakeholder management and prototypes. <laughs> yeah. If you want to yeah. sell it. You mm-hmm. come, even if it's, you know, we're going to change all of it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. But you come with something that's pretty polished and well put together. Oh, yeah. They love you. Yeah. Because it's a story. <laughs> it's a story. We're yeah, storytellers. Yeah, you got it. You got uh-huh. it. I trust you. Because it's know? like it's already it's already there. I can tell you the story, and I can show you the story. And it's like, well, yes. what more else do you need after that? Like you see it. Yes. So I now with the agree past with the past two companies, mm-hmm. um, what I love that we've been able to do is take those prototypes and properly qualitatively test them. Yes. Quite honestly, at the agency, we did not do a lot of testing. We didn't mm-hmm. use a lot of quantitative data. Because mm-hmm. usually the clients that we had had existing assets. Mm-hmm. So it was rare that we were doing everything from scratch. So, so we really, a- really quick, I'm sorry to cut you off. Can you, uh, can you talk about qualitative and quantitative really quick? Just give it really yeah, quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So qualitative research is going to be a, usually a smaller subset of people using different research methodologies, like mm-hmm. interviews, like um, certain uh, path analysis um, Mm -hmm. and surveys, things Mm -hmm. of that nature, right? Quantitative is going to be, it's out in the world. We've tagged it using some analytic system and we are kind of watching things from a distance. Mm -hmm. We take that, it's an aggregate. You know, I don't, you know, I probably could dig in, you know, maybe Mm -hmm. I could dig in on on your ID and see you, you know, go through a whole shopping cart or whatever. But yeah. usually it's, it, it's an aggregate, meaning mm-hmm. it's people like Edward. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. that's how we develop personas too, right? It's mm-hmm. an archetype. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but quantitative, so to me, I think the secret sauce is balancing these two properly, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of companies too, guys, they do not have the appetite or the budget for continuous improvement when mm-hmm. that is the lifeblood of them staying in business. Mm-hmm. So in order for them to really uh, do things effectively, they probably would have to reappropriate budget properly. Mm-hmm. Because I will tell you, a lot of times companies are like expecting UX is magic and they're thinking they're going to get this crazy return in three years. And man, it's five to six. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. if they can hang in there for that five to six, the, it is, there's a lot of money to be made. A mm-hmm. lot. Mm-hmm. And you take out, take out competition and take away consumers. You know, if yep. it's an econ play. If even well, even not if it's a B two B play, you'll you'll get a wider uh, swath of the work, you know. Or mm-hmm. if it's um if it's a say it's a play, it's a qualitative play because you serve the community or you're a nonprofit or foundation capacity or something to that effect. 
you see the scores of people completing and engaging with you all and donations, you see all of that go up. But mm -hmm. sometimes it's, a, it's not a three year thing, it's a five to six year thing. And I think it is um, unfortunate that a lot of leadership, even on executive level, they don't even hang around for five years anymore. Oh yeah, yeah, I noticed that. Execs are bouncing like in three years and that just causes turmoil and upheaval. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So that's mm -hmm. why even on the in the in the agency world, things are so volatile, guys. We used to have a we used to say process over people. Mm -hmm. We were like, you have to have your key people who are in it to win it. That's your core group. And you're mm -hmm. going to have people that just they're trying to get a six month lick because they got to pay bills and mortgages. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whatever. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. they are not really trying to hang out. It's not you not wanting them to hang out. They're not trying to hang out. And mm -hmm. so you have to have a nice process and way of doing things and a little machine so that people can come in you can onboard them quickly get them in there and then if they're ready to leave it doesn't take everything doesn't affect back. anything yeah so so um you mentioned before that you know a lot of us coming up we didn't get this type of education um can you speak to the future of education um within our field currently yes i think that we should um a real rounded UX education to me mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. would would uh, start with core principles mm -hmm. and the, whatever the current best practice is for that era, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then allow people to go deep dive into sub-disciplines that they are attracted to. Right. Okay? So there would be sub-disciplines says, hey, I want to get into architecture and surface design. I want to go hardcore into, U into UI development. I want to go mm -hmm. hardcore into visual design. I want mm -hmm. to go hardcore into, you know, maybe product management. I do not mm -hmm. view product management as separate from UX. I view product mm -hmm. management as the business of UX. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's how I view it because it's an entire customer experience. Right? I agree. And some people are helping you to come to, to realize those experiences through software or apps or whatever. Those are mm -hmm. the vehicles, but the business model behind it and all of that, that in and of itself is very creative too, or can be mm -hmm. very creative, you know? Mm -hmm. You could have told me 10 years ago there would be so many subscriptions, man. Subscription <laughs> model has just, oh my gosh. Everything is a subscription you paying for stuff You didn't even know you were still paying for. Oh, uh -huh. You know, so mm -hmm. that's, that's the rise of that business model. That's very creative to create that. So I really mm -hmm. wish they gave us like a core set of these are the principles of what you're doing. These are all the fields and areas you can touch. And then you get to deep dive. So that way everybody has a good centered grounding, but then they're mm -hmm. doing the things that they love to do. That's part exactly. of Exactly. You know. Courtney, you was gonna say something? No, I was just saying I agree with that model. I think mm -hmm. that it 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 kind of reminds me of college a little bit, how you kind of are exposed to all these different various subjects and then you choose one and then you kind of just further explore that after you finished your um mm -hmm. your GE courses or something like that so yeah. it's mm -hmm. kind of like that similar model but I like that because mm -hmm. it kind of focus on one so mm -hmm. I agree. Saying with the, in, you know when I was a college counselor too so that's probably why I'm thinking that but the reasons I say that is because those core things are what you need to be successful in those other things in the special mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. so you need biology to specialize in internal medicine right mm -hmm. you know what I mean but you need to buy it Mm -hmm. And so that's, and I think we're just getting there where we're coalescing around that. Mm -hmm. Also, as we talked about these new types of experiences we're going to be designing for, you kind of need to have that and then let people, you know, go 
down mm -hmm. those paths because that's how we're going to keep being able to support those different mm -hmm. industries that support those new experiences as we go forward. Yeah, I see uh, the 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 keyboards and stuff behind you. How clearly you're into music. How have you been able to leverage that into your design career? Oh man, so um, music. It's, that's funny. Uh, I actually started at Neiman's as an interaction designer, mm -hmm. and the reason I I would I actually had a different path. A couple times I was you know I had an idea of what I wanted to do and then mm -hmm. ended up something else. Mm -hmm. So in the late 90s, when I was working for myself, I was like, man, I really wanted to do title sequences. Mm -hmm. I started watching all the title sequences on the movies and everything. And I was like, who's doing that? What's that mm -hmm. person's name? Mm -hmm. you know, that's real dope. And it's not like you got to edit the whole two and a half hour movie or one and a half right. hour movie. So I was like, that's just a nice yeah. little link. It's very creative, you know? Mm -hmm. So I was starting to look, get into motion graphics and After Effects real heavy and animation. Mm -hmm. And then I got into Flash. Mm -hmm. So... In college, I had took a video editing and music production class, and they taught us how to do film scoring. How do you sync oh. audio to film? Mm -hmm. And what I found out with these different creative disciplines is that they're all very related on a sub-level. Mm -hmm. so this mm -hmm. was rhythm, timing, tempo. The, all of that is, happens in animation, mm -hmm. right? And mm -hmm. all of that technically happens in how people use, go from one yep. screen to the next. How does the, does the screen populate? You know, mm -hmm. um, are you going to use audio interactions? Are you going to give them feedback? Mm -hmm. so, mm -hmm. so keep it in contact with music and music production. And this is just, you know, I think a very expensive hobby for me at this point. <laughs> but <laughs> it, 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 this also taught me to love the process. Mm -hmm. Because I'll, you know, some days I'll get inspiration and I'll bang out a fantastic track in 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. Radio mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. And then some days it'll be like eight hours. Yeah. I'll drive my family crazy. I rock a loop for three hours straight, the same loop. They're like, oh my God, change it up, change it up. But you know, you're looking for that inspiration. You're digging. Yeah. Drums up. You know what I mean? So all of that helps me when I'm working on UX projects because that's how I am with that too. And then also, too, I'll tell you something I had been, I struggled with. I'm going to be honest mm -hmm. with you. I struggled with mobile first design. And I'm going to mm. be not designing for smaller screens and being able to curate properly what's needed for the smaller screens, but starting with less. And let mm -hmm. me tell you why, because I view, I like the concept of you give me a big piece of stone and then I'll mm -hmm. whittle it down Chip it away. to a masterpiece. Mm -hmm. I'll curate it down until it becomes not less is more, just enough is enough. Mm -hmm. Right? I'm like, when I think about mobile first, to me, it's like, am I gluing all this sand together? Like, what am I doing? Am I making a sand sculpture? Like, I just, I, I don't think that way personally. But I think, what I think we have to be careful with is, um, and I've seen a lot of designers commit this mistake. Like, we got these nice giant monitors. Yeah. You, know, you just don't have that. And so we're always designing things that are a little too, too big yeah. for mm -hmm. our end screen point. So I've loved that we have tools now like Sketch and Figma and mm -hmm. Streamer and InVision Studio that now concentrate you on that side screen from the beginning. I kind of gotcha. like that. I, actually, gotcha. I love that. But mm -hmm. um, to think small, I, I, hate, I hate to say this, to go from small to large is weird to me. Yeah. If you go to a full-size site or even a site someone's going to view on their laptop, it always feels like it's like, let me just throw more crap on there. And yeah. now it's good for the desktop. Yeah. I'm like, nah, I think that uh, what I like to do, though, if it's an existing property or an existing system, 
is to mm -hmm. see what their current usage is through data. And then mm. I'll see, is it mostly mobile people coming or is it mostly desktop or laptop people coming? And then that's going to inform right. how I start and how I approach that design. Yeah. yeah. And also, guys, to keep your creativity going, it's good to have another creative outlet. You yeah. can have mm -hmm. other outlets, obviously, and other types of yeah. things. But, mm -hmm. you know, whether it's cooking or video or, you know, mm -hmm. drawing, illustration, whatever, 3D, do yeah. it. Because mm -hmm. that feeds your creative energy and helps you to think and look at things from different perspectives and from mm -hmm. different angles, essentially. And mm -hmm. helps you to... to um, uh, to problem solve differently. Guys, I'll tell you, this is a big deal too. Keeping certifications. We had a coach um, speak to the org, uh, Everett and I were in Dallas Black UX. And the mm -hmm. coach said something that I thought was interesting. She said that when she looks at people's resumes or she interviews, she wants to know what uh, most recent um, certifications you've got mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. or what current books you're reading. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, that's interesting. Yeah, um, I'll look for that. I can tell. I can tell you, uh, people are different when interviews. Like for me as a design leader, I look for competency first. Mm -hmm. I think that there may be uh, past ten years an overemphasis on culture. Mm -hmm. I think that has been um, a plus in certain regards. I understand people are trying to build good cohesive teams, but I also think it has it has um, reinforced bias and prejudice. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I'm not trying to hire friends. Yeah. I got plenty of friends. Mm -hmm. I want hot. I want heat. Mm -hmm. I want competency. I want people that, if they're not at the best level, they they have passion and fire, and I know they're going to get there. Right? Mm -hmm. that, but mm -hmm. different people have different philosophies. That's my philosophy of it. I'm like, no, nah, I'm not trying to hire my friends. You know? Mm -hmm. And I feel mm -hmm. like a lot of people are doing that. And so what they're doing is they're creating a yes man group or they're creating an echo oh, chamber. Oh, 100%. Yeah. And it and it, and it gets to and it gets to uh, affect all of us at different times, different ways, negatively. Mm -hmm. You know, so then they'll, you'll be ages, or you'll be racist, or you'll be mm -hmm. um, sexist, or you'll be. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? You get the mm -hmm. isms. Mm -hmm. Much of that. So I'm like, nah. Concentrate on the the work at hand. Concentrate on getting qualified, good people that can execute on the work. And then mm -hmm. we all, as I say, iron sharpens iron. We'll all get there together. I knew you was going to give me a good one, man. <laughs> I, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time out and speaking to us, man. I knew it was going to be a lot of gems, yeah, but, you know, I just want to say, you know, again, formally, thank you for, you know, you know, being somebody that helped me along my career, especially with 7-Eleven uh, and dealing oh, with yeah, you know, all of that and being able to see what it's like on the inside of big companies and yes. how to thrive in that as well. So I really appreciate you for doing that, man. I appreciate you putting in such fantastic work. Y'all have hey. no idea this kid right here. He got chops. He's hey, dope. man. <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to pass it on to them at the end of the day. So. Yeah. And you know what? I'll, I'll give uh, uh, Everett something, too, as a designer. there's a You want to strike a good balance between quality and speed. Mm -hmm. Just your whole career. Okay? Mm -hmm. Because speed is going to always be of the essence, but it mm -hmm. is not easy to do things quickly at a high level. Mm -hmm. yeah. you know? mm -hmm. And so, as I said, over time, as you get better and more experienced, you'll be able to go, I know what to do here. This is a number two, a number three, hold mm -hmm. the letters, I got you. Yep. You know yep. what I mean? Yep. But that comes from practice. That's all mm -hmm. that is. You got to just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it. I will tell y'all, if you have ideas that you want to do, do them. 
I've, I've challenged a couple of friends recently and I said, how come we design all these apps for these companies and we don't have any for ourselves? I know, right? This don't make no sense. At all. At yeah. all. I was like, put it out there. If it's even like a, a to-do app or what, whatever. Mm-hmm. Put it out there. Learn that side of the game. You know, there's mm-hmm. a lot of tools that we have now where we don't have to just stay in code the whole time. We can like, you know, it'll generate code for us and get us to mm-hmm. a good point. So I think that that's really where we need to look into. Also, I want to say too, for future, I think that UX people should consider getting into product management. Oh, 100%. I think that is right for disruption. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. I, th- I agree with you. Can you a little bit more on that? Huh, Courtney? Can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Like why? Yeah, because the thinking that's needed, a lot of it is more creative than people think. Product management, correct? Yep. The entrepreneurial thinking that is needed to conceive of a product or service, Mm -hmm. from a high level visionary level, 10,000 foot, that's kind of like the executive level, right? But shepherd it through every part of the process to reality, it's kind of what we do. It would just be expanding it and having some business chops and learning how to make a product. Yeah, I have a... I actually have a, a I have a, a girlfriend who works at um, Salesforce and she's a product manager. And when I mentioned that I was in a UX apprenticeship, um, mm-hmm. she was mentioning like I work directly with some UX designers. And she was mm-hmm. I was like, okay, so having that experience will serve me well if I wanted to go into product management. And she actually was against it. Oh so yeah. Mm-hmm. Said, Listen, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna give you a music analogy on that. The producers don't want the rappers to produce. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> How about that one? Yeah, that's what that yeah, was that a don't mean I'm gonna stop producing or right. rap. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. So of course they're gonna be against it. Mm-hmm. You know, I yeah. see product people coming more and more over to the UX world. They want to do wires. They want to. They want to do preliminary comps. I've seen that. So mm-hmm. we need to go on that side too. I agree, man. I, I agree. Propaganda. Yeah, I've been seeing a lot of positions towards uh, product development. Like, I'm sorry, product uh, management. Like when I go on LinkedIn, oh yeah, mm-hmm. a lot of them. They are hard to find good product managers. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of people who are calling themselves product managers that are not. Just like there are people calling themselves UXers for different types that are not. Mm-hmm. And um, it has kind of come like the, the job du jour right now. Mm-hmm. It's like the hot job right now. So you got a lot of people kind of like jumping into the field. What I think uh, where UX is better is that we have like Everest. Mm-hmm. I do not see the same thing for product managers. I don't. I, I heard any product boot camp. Mm-hmm. Or yeah. you, know, you know, like say you have a business, a hardcore business background. You weren't a, a, a lot of product managers were BAs and were business analysts. Mm-hmm. Say you were a hardcore, you had a hardcore business background, some other type of management or something, and you wanted to get into that portion of it. I haven't seen anywhere doing that. I, there's a few master's uh, courses that do it, but mm-hmm. everybody's not going to want to invest like that. And neither is that necessary when you see how many billionaires didn't even complete college. So, yeah. so <laughs> I really wish that they had some kind of secondary education and or ancillary courses to kind of support us, uh, different people who are interested in it going in it. But it's primarily like I, as an exec, I got to work in, and develop products and services. And it's, it's very interesting, you know, because there's a lot more considerations you have to take into account. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. can I do this? Am mm-hmm. I going to bankrupt the company doing it? <laughs> yeah. What's the burn rate? You know, how much money do I have left? 
you know, before I can get this to market and to, to gain revenue and income back in. And then what's, mm-hmm. what's the break even and what's the return on investment? You put two million in, what am I getting back out and how long? Mm-hmm. You know? So I think that it's not for every designer by a long shot. Um, it's just like musicians kind of suck at business or we wouldn't be so exploited. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, I think, and I think that's creative people in general are not yeah. But I think um, it's kind of hard to say creative people aren't entrepreneurial. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's just yeah. about learning the discipline of business to take things to higher level business than just the Etsy level. Exactly. You know, the house and flipping it on Etsy. Exactly. Right? Exactly. Creative people are naturally good at the Etsy level. I mm-hmm. think it's when it comes time to get into very large businesses or to create and scale businesses is where the, they don't have the discipline or the acumen to take it there. But to me, that's nothing that can't be learned. I mean, other mm-hmm. people learn it, right? So mm-hmm. you can learn it if you want to. So I'm a, oh, sorry, go uh, ahead. Go right, no, no, you go right ahead. Um, I'm going to take uh, Eon's question. So what do you think is going to pretty much happen with UX after COVID? Uh, how do you see oh. things transitioning um, in a good way, bad way, um, now that COVID's taking a place? So in every one of these downturns, guys, and recessions, we shake out people out the industry. Frankly, it's usually the fakers, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. The mm-hmm. good people or those who are most committed usually hang out and stay around and are well-employed, actually. Mm-hmm. Think of it this way. In every time of chaos, there's opportunity, right? That's, mm-hmm. a Sun Tzu, that's actually a Sun Tzu Art of War quote, right? Yep. Chaos comes opportunity. So there will always be opportunities. There'll be businesses looking to pivot and to mm-hmm. redo their things. There's also an, I'll tell you all this, there's also an enterprise cycle of enterprise software products and experiences. So that can go like 10, eight to 10 years. So now mm-hmm. a bunch of those are having to get redesigned now. Mm-hmm. That usually happens like right at the end of a decade or the beginning of another decade, right? Mm-hmm. That's like not consumer facing stuff. Mm-hmm. So you're trying, to, you're trying to set themselves up for at least another five years to 10 years without having to do too much to those systems, right? Mm-hmm. So there's opportunity. E-commerce is going to explode even more. Uh, the problem oh, yeah. is we've kind of maxed out on delivery infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So, but everybody's ramping up towards that. And so I think that there's going to be a lot of opportunity for us, especially now. Because I, I hate to think this way, but I'm starting to think like this is going to become a recurring thing. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. I hate to say it, like every cold and flu season is going to be locked down. Like mm-hmm. this is like, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it sucks. Yeah, because the mutation of just this virus is happening so quickly. Yeah. I'm like, man, I, you know, I'm you know, a lot of people are freaked out about vaccines or whatever. I take the flu vaccine every year, right? I know I'm gambling, mm-hmm. but whatever. Yeah. <laughs> because usually they give it to you to be like, oh Mike, that was the wrong strain. I'm like, thanks, right? Yeah. <laughs> but um, so I don't think that we're through the woods yet. I think it's gonna increase the use of e-commerce increase online activity, increase interactions like AR and VR. Mm-hmm. And um, I, so I think we have plenty of screens to design for and voice to design for. Yeah. Hey man, that's a the hell. Thing, the thing <laughs> to me and what hurts me guys is that there's not a better pipeline to get new people into the field and to some of the hot places where they could really learn because mm-hmm. everyone is like, I don't have an appetite for it. That's yeah. oh, that's, oh, that's where I come in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and, and linking up with the proper placement agencies. What I'm Mm -hmm. talking to new designers is 
if, if a large enterprise is not really, uh, seems like they can, you know, absorb you, then go mm -hmm. with an agency. Agencies will take you. Oh, easy. They will. And you get a and wealth of knowledge doing that. Two years at an agency and you're- Oh, pff, you're ready. Ready. Your portfolio was tight. Yeah, you're but, ready. You know what I mean? Because they can go through and you can work on so many projects in such a short period of time. Mm-hmm. Is the yeah, pay I mean, good you might not sleep. if you take That'll the agency route? Hmm? What'd you say? Is the pay just as good if you take the agency route? Um, no. The perks are usually better. Oh. So like agency, it depends on the size of agency. The agency mm -hmm. I worked at was a smaller agency. So we, we were like 50 people and at the end we were doing consulting only. We was like 25 people. Mm -hmm. uh, most agencies that you see that are like 100 or more, they're actually pretty nice. They got, yeah. perks, they got pretty decent culture. People kick it. It's really camaraderie, really family-like. I mean, high camaraderie, uh, kind of a family mm -hmm. feeling. Mm -hmm. So the perks are there. Um, the money can be there, but it usually doesn't get better till you get into leadership management or higher. Oh, gotcha. I will tell you, data science, which to me is still related to UX, although people don't think so. Mm -hmm. um, data science is hot. Oh, I believe so. I believe so. And that's one of the things that I even want to get into it. Courtney, you was going to say something? Yeah. Can you, can you explain what data science is in relation to UX? Yeah. So there's a lot, there's sub-disciplines of it. So you have data scientists that deal with unstructured data, right? And they structure data and then they create models and or algorithms to extrapolate information from that data to feed experiences and or provide insights. Give me an example. So example, um, we are going to create a, we're going to create a system that's going to tell you what's the best marketing campaign for you to deploy for a client. Mm. We are going to use the information that we've gathered over five years of being an agency. Mm. We're going to codify this in some type of database and structure and, and put a structure to this data. Then we have to set the criteria of what good would be. That's where your modeling comes in, right? This is without going to machine learning and using clusters and farms and true big data. This is just your data, right? And then we will um, uh, use those algorithms and or the models to take information from that to give us a guide of what we should do, right? Okay. So like say, I, you, you a client, you come to me, you say, Mike, I got 500,000. I don't know how to spend it, but this is what I got to achieve with it. I'm trying to make like a mil five. I'm like, okay, I can't, I don't know if I can give you just that on return. Let's talk about how we're going to measure success. And then you sit down with a client, discuss how you measure success. When you get to that point, then you try to say, okay, how do we create a system that's going to intelligently tell us how this is working? So we, we do in marketing, we call it test and learn. We'll buy $2,000 worth of something on Facebook. And we'll test our messaging, our designers come up with the messaging, the campaign, everything. We test it, we see how it does. Usually you do this through a lot of landing pages and what we call a funnel, you create a funnel, right? Mm -hmm. So the person comes in and then it goes down to the funnel until this many people buy, click, sign up, whatever mm -hmm. the metric is that we're trying to hit in the funnel. Mm -hmm. And you may have uh, data to inform you if not only is that working, but help you to plan it in the beginning. So okay. you need data scientists and people that can get through that, know how to structure data, deal with databases, create systems that can talk to other systems. Mm -hmm. Like Salesforce is a perfect example. That's a CRM. That's a custom relationship 
manager. Mm -hmm. That mm -hmm. system requires a lot of data scientists. So mm -hmm. is it similar to like A-B like a A-B tester in a sense? No, this would be more sophisticated than A-B testing. Mm -hmm. Okay. Oh, it's a little bit more, okay. Yeah, okay. A-B testing would be a part of this process. Got it, okay. Mm -hmm. I figured out. Like, got two different types of creative. Okay, same messages, two different photos. Mm -hmm. Right, right, right. Right? What our modeling has shown us is, and our data scientists set up for us and set up our algorithms and everything, has said that we should probably run this on Facebook. Mm -hmm. So we'll do a 2G run on Facebook, but we'll be like, no, our instincts also say Twitter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we'll go mm -hmm. 2Gs on Twitter, two types of creative, which is the A-B test, and then we'll see what does better. Come I like back, that. Yeah, come back, it might be like, well, this one did better on Twitter, and this one did better on Facebook. And what we would do is that we would say, okay, well, this one was a hunch. This one was based on the data. Now feed the hunch back into our modeling mm -hmm. next time. Yeah, and so yeah. we ask a recommendation that says, hey, you should do Facebook and Twitter. Which yeah. probably should test more than one creative. More than yeah. one set of creative. Oh, I like gotcha. that. Yeah. yeah. So they call it data, data scientists is real hot. And they deal mm -hmm. with a lot of different systems, major databases. It's a thing. But it's very cerebral. You got to want to get through numbers. Like it's... Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I, do, I think like a lot of the, like, okay, I'll tell you, when I interview people, I usually say, because a lot of UXers who are, have a pretty big career or long career, rather, not big career, long career, they have done different parts of the process at different times in their career. So I usually kind of divide the process in half. I go, are you in the beginning of the process where you're good at the workshops, stakeholder interviews, qualitative research, and architecture? Mm -hmm. Or are you on the second half of the process where you're great at design, prototyping, UI development, working with developers, and, and getting the output? Which mm -hmm. one? Mm -hmm. Some people say they are good in the middle. That's usually few. Most mm -hmm. people gravitate to one or the other. Mm -hmm. I do like to be in the middle, but I prefer I, over the years, and I, and I love design, but I, mm -hmm. I kind of like the architecture part. Yeah. Okay. Because it's the solve. I feel like that's like the crux of the thinking. Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Yeah. And when I get to my my UI visual design part, then I'm reinforcing the thinking. I'm trying to psychologically get you to do what I need you to do. Right. And if you have a uh, uh, sorry, I'm sorry. Go sorry, yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, you're good. Well, well, no, I just wanted to say, and if you have a design system, that makes it that much easier to do that second half. <laughs> oh yes. yeah, go right ahead. Go right ahead. I want give you a good starting point. Now we'll talk. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about design systems really quick. I think most design systems are too rigid. Mm -hmm. I think most design systems take too long to build because they are not easy to codify mm -hmm. all of that. Mm -hmm. Right. So it's like you almost shoot yourself in the foot. Mm -hmm. If you get it really good and it's buttoned up, it's almost like you're not providing enough um, leeway to the designer. Mm -hmm. So what you got to do is give them a good base and mm -hmm. let them evolve it a little bit. And then you mm -hmm. create a good process to, to intake, you know, sorry, everything that you've seen that is done well, mm -hmm. intake that and say, hey, we have a process now to go ahead and now add that to version two of the design system. Mm -hmm. so I believe mm -hmm. design system should be a living thing. Yes. A lot of companies do not, I don't think they get that. I think they just go design system and that's it. It's built. It's done. Like, no. Nah. Like, nah. That's not how it works because you're going to have new, new problems arise that your system is not covering. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know? But you want to have that as your base point. You know? 
and also brand guidelines are important. Brand identity is important. So it's a good place to start for all of that to make sure that you're, you know, everyone understands how to achieve that within the framework of that organization and to reinforce the organization's brand identity. You want to do that. Courtney, we cut you off. What was your question? Oh, no, I was just going to say, I agree. Um, I think I gravitate more towards that first half of the process. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So uh, agreeing with that. That was all. Yeah. Second half of the process also is the con. Well, now, content writing is interesting. It is, it probably spans the entire process. All across. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Because with my content writer, I used to work with her at the beginning of the process during Mm -hmm. the solution phase. I would Mm -hmm. propose things, right? Mm -hmm. I'd be like, I think we should be messaging this, we should be saying this, and mm-hmm. this is what's going to capture the user. But that's also me thinking like a designer too, right? Yeah. And she would come in and she would be like, nah, that's whack, or that is good, but it's not on brand. Right. So let's say something like this. We wouldn't get too, too deep, but we would make it to where the wireframes, you know, like a uh, little bit more high resolution. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Versus just having Lauren Ipsum. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what we found is that when we did that, it was, it allowed, um, it allowed like uh, stakeholders to grasp it quicker mm-hmm. and it made uh, review go smoother. Gotcha. But that gotcha. to me is like, and, but she's through, through the whole process. When it gets to the designer, she works with him mm-hmm. again. When mm-hmm. it got to the developer, she worked with him again. Mm-hmm. So to me, the content writer actually has one of the largest roles and it's crazy to me, a lot of orgs do not hire for this person. Nope, they do not. I wish weird. I had one. Wish no, I had man. one. It's it's everything, man. It's like that wordsmith. It'll make or break your design. Mm-hmm. I got a question. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, and we, I know, Ava, I don't know if you're uh, ready to. I know you're good. You're good. Keep it going. Okay. Um. So I'm curious as to why there is a shortage of Black women in this industry. Um. Mm-hmm. And you know that's always been something that has you know, attracted me to it is because I would Mm -hmm. love to be um, a black woman commanding in this industry. Um, And I'm sure, you know, you've been in this for a while. Like, why do you think that is the case? Or have you come across thriving black women in this industry? Yeah, I have. Um, But they seem as I lately, um, they seem to be mostly focused on the UX content uh, writing strategy role. And I think that's because a lot of black women got involved in communications and journalism. (laughs) <laughs> me. <laughs> yeah, and it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a natural extension of that skill set, right? And it is kind of like the new journalism in a way. But writing for systems, you know, you it it can be dry. You know what I mean? It can be considered boring. It's like working on enterprise B two B systems versus B two C systems. A lot mm-hmm. of people don't want to work on enterprise systems, but to me, that's where the bread and butter is. You know what I mean? Yeah. And yeah. that's where the tough that's where the tough challenges are at too. I love B2C systems because I like to get the quantitative that comes out of that. I like mm-hmm. to see people use it and I you know, can continuously improve on it. At the same time, I do not mind B2B systems because I understand that's what businesses need to run. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And they need, write, they need content writing too. They need things to be claimed. They don't need everybody to have to take a week training class to learn how to use it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They, you know, what, the, what we want to pivot to in enterprise design is making things so intuitive that you can just get a person in on day one, maybe not new to the field, but new mm-hmm. to your company. They can sit down with it and within a week they're proficient. Yeah. And they're, yeah. And they're performing at a high level. That's where you want to go with these systems. And so what I've seen a lot of the, the people I know that are kind of doing the enterprise design now 
is that they're kind of taking some of the B2C stuff and mixing it in there. It's not mm-hmm. so spread, spreadsheet like, you know? Yeah, yeah. We kind of broken that paradigm. And now they're like, they're doing wizards and they're doing mm-hmm. indicators. You know, you're, they're giving the, the enterprise user more feedback during the process as they're doing the process. Mm-hmm. Um, they're giving them tips and tricks. They're giving them help. They're giving them FAQs. They're putting videos in there. Like, mm-hmm. really sophisticated on the enterprise side. I, I will tell you, I think uh, Salesforce has really upped the game on enterprise software in general as a company. You said who? Salesforce. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because they provided such a great platform that people are building all these experiences mm-hmm. on and, and um, building experiences for so many different types of workflows that, you know, they're kind of changing the way people are thinking about these systems. Got you. Mike, man. I really appreciate you, dude. I know we're coming up on your nap. We're coming up on your nap time. But, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I actually have another um, a meetup I got to go to now, but I told him oh, I was going to so. No worries, man. Well, yeah, I, um, if you could kind of give Eon, Courtney, and Zach kind of like a closing remark as they, you know, because uh, their program, um, it's a year-long program that I'm doing, an apprenticeship program. And mm-hmm. so um, they'll be done in December. So, um if you can kind of give them some, um, you know, words of encouragement and what oh, to yeah. look for. Yeah, definitely, guys. I would say um, feed your passion, feed your creativity, right? So we talked about having those other outlets or those other things that feed your creativity and your creative way of thinking. Understand that creative thinking in and of itself is like a methodology too, right? So if you develop certain techniques, whether that's meditation, whether that's reading, whether that's music or something that helped you to help you to think more creatively all the time, do it. It is not easy to be creative on demand, which is what your job requires of you, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> right. Most most artists, musicians will tell you inspiration has to come to me, right? So mm-hmm. you, what we're trying to do is develop a creative muscle that's going to allow that to not be such an arduous process, and that mm-hmm. you can more, you know, uh, dig down deep and pull it out when you need to. Right? It's mm-hmm. almost like you're always creative at that point. Like you want to always be creative. Always mm-hmm. create if you can, right? Yeah. If you, and, and to me, it's, a, it's philosophical too. I like to produce more than consume, you know? Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. There, then there's that. Then I'll tell you, surround yourself with good people. Okay? Mm-hmm. Iron sharpens iron. They'll help you to keep grounded, to keep humble, to keep focused, mm-hmm. and to keep striving, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there are no limits. Don't let people box you in and put limits on you. There's no such thing. You can take your creative, you could be doing this now and later on you could pivot to architecture and you're designing skyscrapers. You could design cities. You could say, you know what, I'm gonna go back to school, I'm gonna be a civil engineer. Or you, you, there's no limits. Mm-hmm. Everything we have and, and we, that we produce materially as a species is designed, everything, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. okay? So you wanna go into industrial design, software design, whatever do it right but ux is a fantastic place to start because it's so flexible Mm -hmm. it can be applied to all these things right yep yeah that's the main i would say and you know develop resiliency so you're going to get a lot of no's you're going to get a lot of disagreement you're going to get these Mm -hmm. things in your career because so much of what we do is 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 deemed subjective Mm -hmm. but remember love the process if you love the process you can get through those things and you can be resilient. You could take critique. Critique is mm-hmm. hard to give and critique is hard to take. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be honest with you. It's not easy, especially mm-hmm. when you put so much of your heart, or your heart and soul into a thing for someone else to trash it 
who mm-hmm. doesn't understand the effort or the time or the, or the energy or the thinking that you put into it. Mm-hmm. But you also, you know, this thing we talk about you, it's an empathy. Mm-hmm. You know, we're always like, be empathetic for the user. I, I like that. And I, and of course we need that, but mm-hmm. at the same time, I'm like, I don't want UX to become some self-help thing, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it gets to be too psycho babble, you know, like, come on. Mm-hmm. If, if we're talking about empathy, be real, be a humanist, but also be empathetic for the people on your team, be empathetic for the people that you work with, see things mm-hmm. from their position, even if you don't agree with them, you mm-hmm. know, be pragmatic when you're trying to create your solves, know mm-hmm. that. Like, like, I got to be honest, I have been blessed to do very high level, high profile projects that's made millions of dollars, okay? Won awards. And it, none of it's what I originally designed. None of mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. It's what I could get through everybody past and out. Mm-hmm. It's not the original intent. Sometimes I go, man, I sure wish I could A-B test it against my original thoughts. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Yeah. And mm-hmm. see, if that, see if that one was really going to perform better or was it just all in my head, you know? Right. You know, when right. I was an exec, I got to do that a little bit because I'm the exec, so I can, I can pull that yeah. if I don't want it. But yeah, yeah, for the most part, it won't be. So you have to be pragmatic in knowing, hey, we're here to achieve the goal. Don't get distracted. <laughs>